ACNFers, exciting editing news from yours truly. My wife is so good at editing that we've actually decided to team up. If you want two for the price of one and you're ready to level up, email me and we'll start a dialogue. I'm going to like run point and do all the calls and do all that stuff, but she's got that eye. If she wasn't in the work she's in, she would be a dynamite editor, and she really likes it. It's kind of like a puzzle for her, and she's amazing at puddles. Puddles? See, she... Damn it. Uh, there's a song lyric that I think about a lot, and if it wasn't so long, I would probably want to get like a tattoo of it or something, but um, it's from the band Y, and it's um, the lyric is like, I know saying all this in public should make me feel funny, but you've got to yell something out you'd never tell nobody. Hey, CNFers, I'm back after uh, a week off due to an ongoing family emergency. I'll say more in the parting shot if you want to stick around and feel sad. Oh, hey, I'm Brendan O'Mara, and this is the Creative Nonfiction Podcast, a show where I speak to badass people about the art and craft of telling true stories. You know this. Carrie Sullivan is this week's guest. She's had uh, essays in uh, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, among other places. She's K Sol Photo, so K S U L Photo on Instagram, and she's the Grand Marshal for the new book, New Jersey Fan Club. Artists and writers celebrate the Garden State. It's published by Rutgers University Press. Why? Who else would publish it, right? Uh, it's, it's right on the nose. Love it. It includes essays from Chris Gethard, the comedian and actor, uh, and two former CNF podcasts, and Jen A. Miller. I like to say Jennifer V. Miller, Scott Newmeyer, and even comics from the likes of Frankie Huang, among others. Photos. It's like a multimedia New Jersey extravaganza. It's a snackable book that represents the entirety of the totality of Jersey. It's more than you think, man. It's more than the turnpike or the parkway. I'd encourage you to keep the conversation going at CNFPod on Twitter or Creative Nonfiction Podcast on Instagram. Consider heading over to our Patreon page to help support this enterprise. It's a big ask. Listen, I get it. I'm already asking you for your time every week when the show comes out. And on top of that... I have the audacity to ask for like two or four bucks a month. But those dollars, man, holy shit, they mean a lot. And I, it would be great to just see those coffers grow. It'll help with the audio magazine, the production. It'll keep, uh, it, I wouldn't have to take, uh, take on ads, you know, if it's 100% listener supported. Uh, it means more. I feel like there's more enrollment that way. And I'd love to see, see you join that crew. Transcripts and some other goodies come along with the turf. Uh, what also means a lot are kind reviews on Apple Podcasts or ratings. We've got 121. Amazing. And if you leave a written review, I'll read it right here. I think in this era, it's all the more important, especially as writers, uh, to leave reviews for the books we read and the podcasts we listen to. It might not feel like it helps. It might just feel like a drop in the wa- uh, a, a drop of water in the ocean, like it doesn't matter. But for us, it, it matters. It truly does. It validates the enterprise. And it might just persuade another CNFer to join our little brigade here in our little corner of the internet. Show notes to this episode and a billion others are at brendanomero.com. Hey, hey. 
There you may also sign up for the Up to 11 Rage Against the Algorithm newsletter. First of the month, no spam. As far as I can tell, can't beat it. Yeah, had a really nice conversation here with Kerry using my backup microphone. So if it sounds a little weird or doesn't sound as good, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it sounds better. It beats me. I'm self-taught. I don't know what sounds good anymore. Uh, anyway, it's uh, I'm recording this in the basement of my sister's house. It's pretty quiet down here. Basements with carpets make for great podcast studios. Pro tip. So uh, if you're, if and, and I'm in New Jersey, yeah. I mean, that's pretty, pretty cool too, given our guest today. So uh, buckle up, okay? Get ready for a good time. Let's do this. everything about Haribo Star Mix? <laughs> um, it's good. I haven't had it in a while. I think they came out with some new other kind of mix thing, um, mm-hmm. which I haven't checked out yet. But yeah, I definitely buy that occasionally at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, for, for people who might not be familiar with that, and, uh, and I guess your extreme love for uh, looks like uh, Twin Snakes, you know, maybe... maybe uh, Give the audience uh, what they some uh, the four one one on Twin Snakes. <laughs> um. Well, so they're gummy candy, and they have um two flavors, which is why they're called Twin Snakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And usually they're they're not very um they're not really sour. They're a little sour, but they're not like covered in sugar the way like other gummy worms are co- usually covered in sugar. And they're just really good. <laughs> Nice. This reminds me a lot. Like, there's an episode of uh, Parks and Rec where Andy is he's describing like the flavor profiles of, of different Starburst, and he's just like, if you mix this one and this one, it it brings out the something of the Starburst, and it's just like <laughs> like candy <laughs> connoisseur. Yeah, stuff. I think um, candy is important. <laughs> It's a vital food group, right? I take my candy seriously. <laughs> now, according to your websites, you go things you write about include New Jersey, relationships, money, libraries, food, and things I'm obsessed with. So uh what are some of the things you're obsessed with that don't include New Jersey relationships and money, libraries, and food? <laughs> um, I think I added that when I started doing um just like some other random pieces that I had kind of came out of nowhere like I did a thing about podcasts actually um last year Mm -hmm. and it was just like a random subject like I just wanted to put a list of like mystery podcasts together but where the mystery actually gets solved and that were not like true crime like kind of like lower stakes mysteries Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so I think that was my new like kind of catch-all thing to throw in there just like and other stuff (laughs) whatever catches my interest (laughs) <laughs> so I, as uh as i like to get into on the show i i often like to get a sense of uh you know the writer's origin story how they get into it and you know what and sometimes how writing uh and true story telling true stories chose them so what was the appeal of you know doing essay and this kind of cnf stuff you know where where's the juice for you and how'd you get involved in it 
Yeah, um, I can definitely point to a couple things. Uh, One thing, I mean, I've always been interested in writing. I was always like the weird kid in the back of the classroom who finished her work super early and was just like writing stuff in a notebook. (laughs) Like all of my school notebooks had like personal stuff written in the back of them. And so I was always interested in writing. I think I mostly wrote fiction as like a kid and that didn't really change until I was in high school, like later high school. I had a a teacher that had us do more like writing about our like creative nonfiction, which I hadn't really heard that term before then, I don't think, and didn't really know, like I didn't read a lot of nonfiction until that point either. So that was one thing that kind of changed it. And then I also went to a summer camp the summer before my senior year of high school. It was like an academic camp. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, it, you know, I chose writing, obviously, as my subject to study for those two weeks. And we when we got there, they were like, okay, there's a lot of you signed up for writing. So we have two teachers. And there's two different like tracks. So you can either go to the fiction and poetry class with this teacher, or you can go with this teacher and do playwriting and creative nonfiction. And I have no idea what make, made me pick the playwriting and creative nonfiction track. I think it was just like I liked the teacher and I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, maybe that'll be interesting. And that really changed my whole writing trajectory, I think, is like I didn't look back from that. It was like, oh, you can like work through stuff about your life or you can talk about yourself and it's like you can find ways to relate to other people and it just it really appealed to me for a lot of reasons. Yeah, when I first got turned on to, you know, literary journalism and stuff that would be, you know, adjacent to that, like the more you know, personal essay or memoir, uh it it almost it almost ruined fiction for me because it <laughs> Because it was like, you know, novels and stuff were, they might be based on something that was real, but there might be just enough imaginative spackling in there where it's like it couldn't be 100% verifiably true. So when I locked into nonfiction, suddenly I'm like, oh, you can tell novelistic type stories, but if done well and done responsibly, it's all verifiably true. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, like I... I just locked into that and it almost was like, oh, fiction, like novels just don't appeal to me as much anymore, as much as I want to write one and as much as I love reading them. I, I still am just like, I, I just like the fact that these boundaries within which we write in nonfiction, they, it just seems more alive to me. And I, I can't pinpoint why, but it just does. Yeah, I totally get what you mean. And I think for me too, it was like, it seemed like a lot more of a challenge because I had to, like what I was writing was real so I had this like source material but it was like what I was going to do with it that was the interesting part like it wasn't like oh I can make up whatever story I want which was I think something I did a lot of when I was younger but then um I was like oh no like I have the framework for it I just have to figure out like an interesting way to describe how it felt or what what happened and that was something that I really enjoy doing and still do in my own writing yeah do you are you uh, a journaler by by nature I haven't in a while, but yeah, I mean, I kept a fairly consistent journal from the time I was like 12 years old until like a couple years ago. It got a lot less frequent, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, yeah, I'm in my early 30s now, so. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, I've, I started mine basically when I was about 16, and I still do it very regularly, and I'm 42 now, oh, so cool. it's like, nice. yeah, I've just got this, you know, a 
treasure box full of stuff. I mean, it's it's by and large pretty much, you know, garbage writing. That which I always, <laughs> it always it always ruffles my feathers, Carrie. When I when I read like the journals of great writers, I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, who writes like this in their journal? Like this. Oh is, yeah, this is total bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's like writing I hope no one ever sees for ver- for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and even the, the letters famous people write. I'm like, why are you like why are you dropping like s- uh like very very grand prose in this? Like, no. No, <laughs> yeah, look, it's look pretty at my unrealistic. Yeah. What are you trying to do to us? Yeah. Well, who is someone who might have uh like put some fuel in your tank to let you know that you weren't completely delusional on your on your path as a writer. Uh, I mean, a lot of teachers that I've had over the years. <laughs> I remember right. um, I was a film major actually for my undergraduate degree, so I took a lot of English like electives. I did a lot of writing courses and you know workshops for my free credits that I got to spend uh, however I wanted and. Every time I would take one, the teacher would be like, are you sure you don't want to be an English major? <laughs> like, they were always trying to get me to to jump ship and come over there. So that was pretty validating. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of times, I mean, it, it does, it definitely takes that that mentor or teacher to read your work with a certain measure of enthusiasm and just be like, hey, this is this is pretty good. Like, keep going. Versus like just eviscerating the thing and be like, ah, you know, you know, this is this is acceptable, but you know, carry yeah. you, know, you know, keep keep studying film, right? <laughs> and uh, can you can you pinpoint a moment where like something really rung true and someone was like, hold, yeah, like carry, this is great, like keep going, this is uh, you've got a knack for this. Yeah, um, I think about this a lot because I didn't follow through with the advice I was given in the moment, but mm-hmm. I had one professor in college who. I turned in an essay and he emailed, like, emailed me or, or asked me to stay after class one day and was like, can you come to my office after, you know, next week? I want to talk to you. And I thought I was, like, in trouble <laughs> um, because I, I wasn't used to that. And so I was like, oh, no, like, what did I do? Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was happening. And then when, when I got down and sat down with him, and this was someone who had, like, a newspaper column. Like, he was, you know, a pretty prolific person um a tenured professor at uh at university so it's not some you know somebody whose opinion that mattered to me and um he was like i think you should submit this to the new york times modern love column hmm. and he was like do you know what that is and i was like yeah <laughs> you hmm. know like everyone knows what that is <laughs> and um he was like, oh, well, they do this college contest and, you know, even you could just submit it without it being part of that. Like, I think I think it's good enough, whatever. And I never I never did. I didn't send it in. It terrified me. Um, <laughs> but it was I. Why did it know, terrify you? Because it was something really personal mm. and it was something I wasn't ready to talk about in a public way like that like some you know like that kind of attention on something like those new york times columns get so much attention and um it just seemed like way too too much for me at you know 20 20 maybe i think i was 20 <laughs> yeah was it uh was it something is it it was probably something that was still very raw at in the moment just just speculating here but at now since you're in your you know it's maybe a little more than 12 years later is it still something you're comfortable revisiting or is it 
still like yeah I, I don't know yeah i mean so it was about my father who died when i was 12 mm. and i wouldn't say it was super raw when i was 20 but it was definitely something that i was you know it was a major thing that happened to me as a kid it changed yeah. a lot of things about my life and um it was something that i didn't understand how it fit the theme of the column either because at that time like i thought they were kind of all romantic and you know now i know that they're not all like that but a lot of them are about families and you know they're not all like happy <laughs> but um yeah it's something that i have a lot of notes that i've written on this subject but i've never successfully been able to like feel like any of them were done or any of them were like good enough or any of them said everything that i wanted to say so it's so I don't, it's one of those things that I'm like, someday I'll, I'll figure out how to write about this, but it's hasn't totally happened yet. <laughs> yeah. So well, I'm terribly sorry to hear that you, you know, your dad passed when you were so young. Uh, that's, that's awful. And, and that's also the time that, uh, you started journaling was, was that, was that, th did those two go really hand in yeah. hand as a way for you to process it? Yeah, it was. Um, so I started, I guess maybe it was even earlier than that I started journaling then. But um, yeah, like the school social worker, when my father had cancer. So when he was oh. like sick, like I had to, you know, go and sit down with the social worker and my mom, you know, told them what was going on at home. And they were like, oh, you should get a journal. And, you know, you like writing and your teachers say you're a good writer. You should, you know, find a way to do that. So, yeah, that was definitely like the beginning of why I had a journal. <laughs> mm. Now, it, writing about, you know, grief and stuff of that nature can be, you know, really challenging, especially since a lot of people have done it and done it very well. Uh, you sometimes have a thing like, how can I write about this thing that's unique to me, but make also make it uh, universal enough where people can really tap into it, maybe relate to it, uh, but also put a little spin on it that is a little bit different. So over the course of the years as you've kind of metabolized the information and you've been you know you even said like it's you're not you haven't quite figured out how to do it um you know what are some examples that you've you've read where you're like oh, okay maybe this is going to be kind of that skeleton key that might help unlock you know this particular essay that's you know i, I suspect you'll write about it at some point yeah you're probably right um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't so many people have done that topic really well and um I'm trying to think of something recent. I mean, uh you had her on your podcast, I think, Lily Danziger. Oh yeah. Um yep. certainly her memoir, um Negative Space was something that I really enjoyed reading. <laughs> yeah, um, that was great. Yeah. Working through the, you know, loss of her father and stuff that he left behind i thought that was a beautiful book but yeah i don't know i'm not sure what form it's gonna take yet because it's not it's not just straightforward like sadness like there's i have a lot of anger also because there were a lot of things that i found out about him later on when i got older that i have a lot of feelings on <laughs> mm. so there's a lot of complicated stuff in there and there's a lot of people too that are still around that i don't really want to implicate in anything or, or bring their stories into stuff like it's just I don't know it feels like one of those things where I'm like I have to wait a long time before <laughs> I'm gonna be like comfortable putting something about this out into the world but yeah we'll see 
Yeah, well, and that's also that's the rub with nonfiction too. It's just like if I were novelizing this, all right, I can change some names, fudge a few things, and I can write it now. But it's like if I really want to be safe, I'm like, ah, damn it, that person probably should <laughs> die before I write this thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or just like I don't know people that I'd have to have more in-depth conversations with and be like, I want to do this thing. And like, that's, you know, I'm not going to apologize for it. And I would just want to tell people, you know, ahead of time. So they're not surprised. <laughs> oh, for sure. And it, it's one of those things too, with writing about family and no one knows really when you're, when you're born that they're in essence, they could very well, unbeknownst to them be raising a writer and, right. <laughs> and they're like, Oh my God, like, saying all these things and all of a sudden like oh my god i was unknowingly on the record this entire time and now it's like oh shit all this material could possibly come out so it's uh it's it's a murky it's murky business raising a writer and becoming one <laughs> yeah i don't think i'd want to be on the other side of of that <laughs> it's got to feel incredibly raw and and just very nude in a way, it's just like, oh, my God, like, you're going to write about that? Like, that is, I thought that was private. I thought that was between us. And now suddenly you're like, oh, okay, you're you're going to broadcast it now a little bit. Yeah, I think it's people who aren't writers don't understand that impulse. Like, they're just yeah. like, you know, like, why would you want to tell someone something so personal? Or, like, people who have a lot more shame, too. Like, I don't have a lot of shame, so <laughs> I don't <laughs> feel that way. But... Like, I can understand some people who feel like, you know, oh, like this stuff is like private or personal or shameful and I would never want anyone to hear it. And I am very much in the opposite boat with a lot of things. Like, uh, there's a song lyric that I think about a lot. And if it wasn't so long, I would probably want to get like a tattoo of it or something. But um, it's from the band Why. And it's um, the lyric is like, I know saying all this in public should make me feel funny, but you've got to yell something out you'd never tell nobody. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's very much how I feel about writing about my life. <laughs> Do you have an idea for a great new podcast? You can bring your idea to life and start your podcast today with Libsyn. Our podcast has been on Libsyn for, I don't know, three or four years now. I can't remember, but we switched and we like it. Libsyn has everything you need to plan, launch, and grow your own podcast. Libsyn provides some of the best resources created by expert podcasters who will show you everything you need to know, like what equipment you should use, how to record great audio, how to get your show onto Apple Podcasts and other popular platforms, and much more. Plus, as a friend of CNF Pod, when you sign up with Libsyn, you get your first month of podcast hosting for free. There has never been a better time than right now for you to start podcasting. Visit Libsyn.com and use code F-R-I-E-N-D. That's friend. That's Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com and use code friend, F-R-I-E-N-D, to get started and create your podcast today. And it's a thing, too, where, you know, people or family members specifically being written about, um, they really feel like it's, you know, they're on blast, they're on trial. And it feels like that, and I totally get that. But the fact is, if a writer is skilled enough, 
and handles the story well enough, what ends up happening, and I've spoken about this myriad times on this show, so people who listen to this, uh, and I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry, uh, but it's just <laughs> like, you know, you as the writer or or the characters in it, they kind of dissolve away and just merely become a vessel for the reader to then overlay their experience on, on the yeah. text. And so yeah, they're no totally. longer, yeah, like they're no longer judging I don't know, like your father for doing something, my father for doing something. Uh, and they're just like, oh, I'm starting, I'm thinking about my experiences with so-and-so. And they they don't think of so-and-so as like a total dick. They might have been a dick in the moment, but you're not like, uh, I'm not going to hold you, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to just think you're an asshole for, you know, doing that one thing. You know, maybe there's a redemptive element. It's just like, if it's done well, it's like, yeah, the the characters kind of dissolve if that makes sense. right yeah, yeah no i'm my thing too and like this is definitely not an original thing i'm sure i read this somewhere else but it was just like if i'm writing about other people i'm always gonna want to make myself seem like if, if i'm accusing someone of something like i'm also gonna be implicating myself in some way too like i'm not yeah. trying to make myself sound like this perfect polished you know person who's never done anything wrong because that's certainly not the case but yeah um like because i did a lot of writing um in my late 20s after getting out of a, a long-term relationship that ended really badly and i never wanted to make him seem like the you know, worst person on the planet or anything like that. Like that was certainly not my goal. <laughs> it was me writing about my feelings and like kind of working through like, how did I let someone treat me in these ways? Like, how did I, you know, lose these parts of myself or like not stand up for myself in certain situations and things like that. Like it was more like trying to figure out like processing, like what had happened to me and what I had allowed happen to me rather than just being like, this person's the worst, you know, like that yeah. wasn't, that doesn't feel productive to me. And it also doesn't feel true. So like, that wasn't what I was trying to do with those pieces. Yeah. I think that's really a great point to underscore that, especially doing personal stuff where, yeah, if you're going to hold other people or be critical of other people, like you, you, you have to almost be, as critical if not more critical on yourself it's right like, it's like when you have a like a son if you're coaching a kid on in your your own kid on a team it's like you kind of have to be harder on your own kid so it doesn't look like you're playing favorites <laughs> you kind of have to like do that in personal essay and memoir with yourself yeah though. <laughs> no it's true so give me a sense of how you started curating and thinking of New Jersey fan club as, as a book, like give me the, 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 the seed that was like, that, like, yeah, this is, this is the idea. I'm going to run with this thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a couple things, but the one thing I always have to mention too, is that it sort of grew out of an Instagram project that I run that I mm -hmm. started in 2014. It's called Jersey collective. And it's an Instagram account that different people take over every week. So it's been going consistently for all that time. And every week it's a new person and they share, you know, pictures and captions of stuff in New Jersey that means something to them or places they think are beautiful or historic or, you know, personally relevant. And so you get to see what the state looks like through the eyes of a bunch, you know, it's always changing through different people. And I, it, it's grown into kind of a big thing. Like it, you know, we've had art shows and meetups and workshops and gotten some like local press attention. And so it's become kind of a popular Instagram account. 
um, in New Jersey. And so obviously New Jersey is a subject that I think about a lot. And I obviously always having been a writer and I'm a librarian by day. So I think about books all the time. I wanted to do a book for something that could kind of come from Jersey Collective because I felt like I had built this community and I had met so many interesting people there. And I wanted to try and find I was always trying to find ways to like bring out kind of tangible stuff from this Instagram project. I was always making like stickers and buttons and having events and trying to create these like real life experiences and not just do everything on Instagram. So when I started thinking about a book, I was thinking, you know, I love anthologies, just I love the format of an anthology. There's so many that over the years I've really enjoyed reading and I just felt like it's such a cool way to explore a topic where you get to focus in on something, but you get to hear what a bunch of different people think about it. And it's not just one person's perspective for the whole book. It's you get to kind of peek into a bunch of different people's brains. And I just think that's really cool. And then I also kind of realized like that's sort of what the Instagram account was doing already, like through photographs and stuff, you know, it was a different person every week. So I was like, oh, this is sort of that same kind of format. And I just felt like I could kind of see it. And it started taking shape in my mind. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I wrote the book proposal and read a ton of books about New Jersey, including previous anthologies that um, people had done before to try and figure out like what I wanted to do that would be a little different and um, landed on just the idea that it would have, you know, more visual content. Some of the, the other ones were just, you know, essays with no pictures or anything. And so I wanted to include drawings and photos and comics and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was that. And it was also just the fact that like New Jersey is a place that a lot of people have very strong feelings on <laughs> both people who are from there or live there or people who pass through or even people who have never been there. So I felt like it was a subject that, um, I could find a, a lot of people that would have something interesting to say about. Yeah. And you write. Yeah, towards uh, kind of like the middle-ish part of your introduction, you you know, you would say, "I would, I I would tell you what New Jersey has given me, and would tell you what it has taken," and that that sentence alone struck me. And I wonder, you know, you can a lot of people be like, "Yeah, you know, this is what you know place has given me," but the fact that you said that it's also taken something that really stood out to me. So, what has New Jersey taken? from you (laughs) um well a lot of my money because it's one of the (laughs) highest cost of living (laughs) states in the country um yeah i mean i think i can't think of anything like super specific when i wrote that i just kind of liked the way it sounded (laughs) Uh um but i also just felt like you know places like it's a place that's shaped me in so many ways but it's so it's a place where i've had so many positive experiences but it's also a place where i've had negative ones So I kind of just wanted to talk about, like, the complexity of that and how, like, the subtitle of the book has the word celebrate in it, but I don't, I feel like that gives it almost an overly positive connotation and sets up an expectation of, like, the book is going to be this, like, super positive look at New Jersey, but I think there's a lot more complexity in the collection than that. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I just think, like, you know, I've, some of the worst disappointments I've had have been here you know some of my favorite places I've had fights with friends or things like that and you know got bad news or learned you know disappointing things that um, affected my life and you know I can still picture like certain places that I've been or stuff like that 
Yeah, and you know, to to your point of not making it super celebratory and just totally like rah rah rah. Even though, like, the goldfinch has the number, the finger, the <laughs> foam finger. So you, you think it's like total rah, rah, rah. Um, but you were looking to strike a certain measure of complexity and nuance with a lot of these pieces. And they're all pretty short, too. Um, so, like, how did you go about curating the material and even, like, coaching the writers maybe to, uh, you know, write what they want, but probably be like, all right, let's try to, you know, let's strike a certain tone here that is very real and three-dimensional. Yeah, um, the work came through a couple different ways. I did have an open call for submissions and pitches just to see what came in that way. So I did have about like 200, I think it was over 200 submissions to that. Mm. Um, and I did find a lot of really great stuff in there and a lot of great stuff I had to to decline as well just because it was too similar to other things or not the right length or, or things like that. But um, so that was really cool just to see like who was out there that I wasn't already aware of. I also reached out to some people individually who I knew were people who, you know, wrote or made art and possibly would have something to say about New Jersey. And um, I kind of had read, you know, over the years, if I read an interesting essay or something and kind of and the person mentioned being from New Jersey or had it in their bio, I kind of would like file that away mm-hmm. <laughs> and just think, you know, oh, if I ever make this book, like I'll. I'll ask this person if they have anything to say. And a lot of those, it was just a matter of being like, like, oh, I'm doing this thing. Like, this is who I am. And, you know, I liked this thing that you made. And would you have anything interest? Like, do you have an interest in saying anything about New Jersey? Like, it could be whatever you want. Because, <laughs> um, you know, some people it was just like, I liked their work and I wanted to see what what interested them um, and kind of gave them the freedom to explore whatever they were looking for. And then I also had some topics in mind for the book, certain pieces that I wanted to see in there. And then I had to kind of find the right person to make them. So it was, um, you know, whether that was writing or artwork had to kind of figure out who's like the right fit for this type of thing. And would they be interested in doing it? And um, yeah, that was pretty much the editorial process. (laughs) And what do most people get wrong about Jersey? Um, there's so many things. Um, <laughs> lots, lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that we have like a weird accent, <laughs> um, which I have been talking a lot in this uh, recording. So I'll leave that to the listeners to decide if I have an accent or not. But I don't think I have the same accent as like the people on like jersey shore or um Mm -hmm. or the sopranos um but i think there's that and then you know that's kind of a silly one but then there's also like i think people don't know that we are one of the most diverse states in the country and we're also um the most uh densely populated so there's a lot of us (laughs) from all over the place and we're all on top of each other so we have to kind of learn how to get along. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, people have this vision of what the state looks like physically, which is that it's a bunch of oil refineries and highways and our lovely airport that people love so much. <laughs> um, and obviously, that's not the full picture of what <laughs> what the state looks like. We have some really beautiful parks and um part of the Appalachian Trail runs through New Jersey. We have, you know, the shoreline obviously is one of our more popular tourist destinations. And we also have um, the Pinelands, the Pine Barrens, which is a really 
interesting ecosystem in South Jersey. And, you know, we have a lot of work. The Garden State is the nickname. And that's because we do have a lot of really rural areas. And sometimes they're right near more suburban ones. Uh, you could, you know, drive. I live in a pretty, I live in Essex County, which is a pretty, um, pretty suburban, if not urban in some parts, part of the state. Um, I can see the New York City skyline from parts of my town. <laughs> like we're very close. But um, if you drive like half an hour from here, you could be in a very rural area. And Jersey is home to John McPhee. That's right. Yes. <laughs> celebrate the Princeton native and certainly my favorite narrative journalist of all time at <laughs> a <out of> Princeton. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, my fam well, my family kind of relocated, but yeah, I'm down here in South Jersey right now recording this and it is almost it, it is almost all farmland out here. Yeah. And people see this, they're like, "Oh, wow. Like I, I didn't realize New Jersey had, you know, these gigantic, you know, acres of just pure farm and produce." Right. Yeah, I think a lot of people, like I said, their only experience was maybe they they flew into Newark instead of JFK one time and they <laughs> got a very bad impression of what New Jersey looks like. Yeah. Yeah, and like in the in this collection too, I do love how there's visual elements too, whether it be photographs or comics and it it's um such a great, I think, you know, amalgamation of like different media, which is really uh, kind of a I think uh, in a way, a meta commentary on Jersey, like you were saying how diverse Jersey is. I'm like, well, this book kind of is a meta commentary on that and just the way it's constructed. I, I, that kind of struck me as I was reading it. I like that. I'll borrow that. <laughs> you can use that for your next book signing. <laughs> this book is kind of a meta commentary on the diversity of New Jersey. Some jackass on a podcast said that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I am a big fan of comics. I really enjoy reading, especially like graphic nonfiction. I love graphic memoirs. I think it's oh, just so a really, yeah. really cool exploration of people's lives. And I just that's like one of my favorite things to read. So when I, you know, was putting together my proposal, and then when I was putting together the book, I was like, well, I'm gonna include a lot of stuff like that. Because that's, and I think some people also like, I hope some people have never encountered that before that pick up my book and are like, Oh, this is cool. Like, where can I find more stuff like this? And, you know, check out the work, more work from the, obviously from the contributors, but also just to maybe get into some different styles of work that they never considered before, which is another cool thing that anthologies can do is just introduce you to like different kinds of work and different people and hopefully give people some more stuff to check out when they, when they're finished reading it. It was cool to see, uh, you know, Chris Gethard have a, a piece here. He's a comedian who I've, I've I love his work whenever he's acting. And uh, my one of my favorite movies is uh, Mike Birbiglia's "Don't Think Twice," and yeah. he's just so good in it. And he has one of the best lines in that movie too. About uh, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna butcher it, so I'm not even gonna say it. But he just has one of the greatest lines about the angst of uh, an artist going from their 20s to their 30s. And uh, it's just so perfect. And uh, that's a that for for a collection of his nature. He's a huge get. Like so, uh, how, how'd you uh, track down Chris? Yeah, for this? I was so excited when he said yes. Um, he also has a podcast now called um, New Jersey is the World, which is just an entire New Jersey themed podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, yeah, he was obviously uh, a pretty natural choice for for something like this. Though he didn't have the podcast when. Um, when we first spoke, but 
uh, a friend of mine um, used to be a talent manager and also used to do um, stand-up comedy himself. And so he knows some people. And I was like, because I couldn't find any contact information for like Chris Gethard first. Obviously, I, I looked. But so I asked my friend, I was like, do you know anybody that might know him? And he was like, yes, I know lots of people who know him. <laughs> so he was, you know, reached out to someone he knew and was like, hey, like, would you be cool passing this along to him and, you know, seeing if it's okay to give him, you know, give his email address to my friend who's doing this thing. And, and yeah, so the, I got his email address and I wrote to him about what the book was going to be like. And I told him how much I enjoyed, you know, his books. I, he had one where he wrote a little bit about when he worked for weird New Jersey magazine. And um, so, you know, he's a big New Jersey person and I figured he'd have something, something to say about New Jersey in like about a thousand words. And, um, yeah, it worked out great. <laughs> and my wife grew up in South Jersey and, uh, she went to Rutgers, of course. And so, you know, she was always telling me about the grease trucks and, and everything from going, from going to Rutgers. So it was really cool to see, um, you know, Frankie Huang's, uh, her, gra- her comic, yeah. On, on the, the challenge, which like really it would celebrates the uh, the grease truck and, you know, trying to eat these, you know, I don't know. I forget. It was like three sandwiches or something. It might have been more. Um, but it's just that I, I love seeing, you know, that you know, that degree of storytelling and uh, representation and the medium it was. It's just like really it's really fun. You can read something and then you get hit in the face with a comic like, oh, cool. I can keep going. And it's like a different kind of uh, it's a different kind of um you know, it falls on the eye differently, obviously. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I loved her piece. And I, I put it fairly early in the book for a good reason. Because <laughs> um, I felt like it was setting a, a tone that I liked a lot of just like, we're gonna have some fun here. This is gonna, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is gonna be a fun book. <laughs> well, that that gets to a point I wanted to ask you too about anthologies. And it can be like, you know, you need to be cognizant about how they stand alone because people might just page through if they recognize a name and they're like, Oh yeah, let me go there. Uh, but if people are reading it cover to cover, you want them to kind of play nicely together and, and have that beginning to end in like an album instead of hitting shuffle. So what was that process like for you as you were looking, look, figuring out how to track them throughout this book? So honestly, I put off having to think about the order until a couple weeks before I had to turn everything in. <laughs> um, I was really dreading it because it was so hard for me. I'm a very like tangible person and I need that like very visual, like I need to kind of see it. So I had everything printed out, which I did during, you know, while I was editing stuff anyway, I would print it out. So I had all my printouts and I would kind of start like shuffling them around. And I had a couple things that I knew I wanted to be like I kind of there were some notes I knew I wanted to hit at certain places like deciding what came first and what came last was fairly easy um but I also was thinking a lot when I was putting the order together of like the experience people were going to have picking it up and flipping through it like I wanted them to see you know a little bit of everything as they did that I wanted them to see like oh there's comics in here there's photos in here and like I didn't want all that stuff kind of clumped together I wanted it like spread out um And so you can't, like, I didn't know the trim size of the book yet. I didn't know anything, you know, so you can't really, like, figure that out before the book exists. But 
I made index cards for everything and I kind of just started laying those out and shuffling them around and trying to figure it out. And I was like making myself a little nuts over it. And then at some point I was like, I think I'm just going to stop worrying about this because when I turn this in to my editor, like he's probably going to want to change stuff anyway. So maybe I should just stop like making myself like lose my mind over this. And then of course, like they didn't change anything <laughs> mm-hmm. of the order. So um, it worked out though. I was happy with it, but yeah, the answer was to, to not worry about it too much ultimately. <laughs> right. And as you already uh, established, you know, you're a librarian and you know, in the, in the day jobbiness of, of your life. And, you know, here you are, you know, writing essays and doing stuff of that nature uh, also as, and you put together this book and I think a lot of people listening to this, they're not like full-time writers. I'm sure some are, but uh, it's sometimes you have to have that anchor gig, that 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 steady job, and then you thread it in. You thread the writing yeah. you want to do around. So how do you cultivate that and make time for it, uh, even if it's just this little chunklet on a Tuesday morning or maybe a Sunday afternoon? Like, how, how do you do that? Yeah, um, I'm definitely not a write everyday person mm-hmm. as much as I would like to be. I'm a thinking about stuff everyday person or like putting weird notes in my phone while I'm in the bathroom person. <laughs> but um, I don't sit down at my computer and write every day. There's been times in my life where I've tried and like obviously working on the book was like a lot more dedicated time. Like I would sit, I would come home from work and have dinner and go to the computer like very consistently. Um And luckily, you know, I have a job where I work nights at least once a week, sometimes more. So I go in, I have to be there at one. Um, And so I kind of get that morning, which is nice, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because like I live with my boyfriend. And so coming home from work, it's like we have dinner and then we hang out and watch TV or, you know, do stuff like go for a walk or whatever. Um, And it's easy to just like not when there's another person in the house it's easy to just like not go do your thing oh yeah um oh, so yeah. in the morning it's nice because like he's at work and i get my i have my little chunk of time and i have a set time i need to leave so it's like it doesn't feel like oh i have to sit here and do this on you know all night or whatever um but yeah so that and then i also the other perk of working for um a public job is you usually get pretty good pto so I took a lot of time off um, while I was working on the book, just like half days, you know, skip out early or full days once the deadline was getting nearer. I just kind of built in some time uh, to make sure I would be able to, you know, have a good couple days where I could do nothing else but work on the work on the book. So, yeah, a combination of that and just like evenings, (laughs) um, weekends, but yeah, I have kind of a long commute too, which is not ideal, but um, I like where I work and I like where I live. So it's just how it is for now. But mm-hmm. so sometimes like I think a lot of think about a lot of stuff while I'm in the car too. And then when I get home, I'm ready to like sit down and, and dump a bunch of stuff out. To me, that is still writing. You know, when you're processing thoughts or you have if you're driving into work or taking public transit or, or whatever, uh, it's like that time thinking about it is every bit as valuable as the sitting down at the keyboard and and banging it banging it out so it's uh yeah i think so yeah so it sounds like you kind of you're like metabolizing stuff like okay this is 
Yeah, maybe later. I'll take some notes here when I'm... Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, I have just, like, a lot of notes, and then when I actually sit down, I'm like, oh, I... My notes, like, cobbled together quite a bit of words. Like, it doesn't feel like a lot, but then when I sit down and actually start looking at it, I'm like, oh, this is, like, I'm further ahead in this process than I thought I was. <laughs> and when you were kind of getting into, you know, writing and this kind of stuff, did you have a, you know, that, that kind of... You know, if you're if you're growing up and you're a big baseball fan or something, you've got like posters on the wall of like your favorite ball players or whatever. And uh, not that you would have posters of your favorite writers, <laughs> though maybe you do. Um, who are some of those writers that you were like, oh man, if if everything goes well, and like maybe I could carve out a career that's kind of like you know fill in the blank. I don't know. I never really saw myself as being a person who would write as my whole job. Like, I just never could imagine such a thing. And it wasn't because I didn't think like, oh, like, I'm not good enough or whatever. It just seems it seems really hard. (laughs) And I still think it seems really hard. And I just feel like I am not a person who can be like left to my own devices to have to try and, you know, I need more structure than that. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, I'm trying to think when I was a kid, I mean, I was a big like once I got into creative nonfiction, like I, you know, I loved like David Sedaris and I read a lot of like humor stuff too, Um, you know, like Dave Barry. And um, I liked uh, when I was a little older because I I think her book came out maybe when I was in college, but I liked Sloan Crosley's um, essay collections a lot. Um, And then, you know, now I the list would be so long. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I really love like Melissa Phoebos and um, yeah, it's just too many people. <laughs> yeah. Takira Madden's uh, memoir was really special to me as well. And yeah, it's a long list. <laughs> would you say you're more drawn to like sort of cover to cover memoir or like a collection of essays? I think collection of essays. Because, yeah, I think that's more what I would want to write, probably. Mm-hmm. I like reading both. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I love, like, Maggie Nelson and um, Leslie Jameson. You know, those are usually more, like, essay collections. Yeah. For some reason, I find them almost easier to metabolize. You know, I, I like, they don't feel as heavy a lift sometimes as reading, like, just something that is supposed to be, like, you know, a memoir, more like a novel. And I I feel like the piecemeal nature, even if the essays kind of build on each other, it, to me, it just, I, I, it's more of a, an addicting kind of thing, like a more of a snacky read. I'm like, oh, wow, I can just, all right, I'm going to read this one essay. I'm going to put it down and then like go away. And then I'm going to come back to it. Whereas like, I don't know. Does that make any sense? It does. Yeah. I like the, the natural like stopping points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like the little, you know, that each essay is kind of its own little contained thing and it says what it wants to say. And like maybe it, it's in conversation with other pieces in the book or maybe that's maybe that one just is what it is. Like um, I just finished reading um, C.J. Hauser's book that just came out, The Crane Wife, um, which is an essay collection. And that book is really beautiful. I enjoyed that one a lot. Um, and they, they all kind of seem like they talk to each other a little bit. The essays are, some of them are on kind of similar topics, but they are all their own pieces too, which I think is cool. Yeah. Like I'm thinking just off the top of my head of like Melissa Falavino's Tomboy Land, uh, you know, Mm. all of Elena Passarello's essay collections, whether it's Let Me Clear My Throat or Animals Strike Curious Poses. 
it's they just have that a, a snackiness to them that I'm just like, oh, cool. Like I just not junk food, but just like pure, <laughs> it's like pure, like uh, there's like a new pulse of energy with every single one. And it's uh, you get to ride a different kind of wave every time there is that a very everyone has its own little climax, its own crashing wave. And then you get to reset and ride another one. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yet another, yet yet another thing <laughs> that the Jackass podcaster is. is <laughs> I'll pull that out of my pocket if I if I'm ever in a book club or something. <laughs> right. Cool, cool. Well, it, it being somewhat late at night here on the East Coast, I want to be mindful of your time. So, um, I you know I did. You've listened to some episodes of the show, so you might know what I'm going to ask you next. I forgot to prime the pump because uh, my brain is all addled. But uh, I usually like to close these conversations by asking the guests for a recommendation for the listeners of any kind. It can be uh, anything from like a cool thermos to a fanny pack to, uh, I don't know, a favorite kind of pencil. It's up to you. Uh, so is there anything out there you might recommend for the listeners to close down this uh, this show? I'm going to go with a silly food thing since we opened with oh, that. Oh, all right. Bring it full um, circle. I love it. I've been, I think it's gotten a little trendy lately, so I hate to sound like I'm just hopping on, <laughs> on a trend, but I've been really enjoying hot honey lately. Hot <laughs> Spicy honey. honey. Okay. Spicy honey. <laughs> um, particularly the, I think the one brand that's probably like the most popular one, um, it's called Mike's Hot Honey. And it has like chilies in it, and it's very good on pizza. No kidding, huh? I used to, I um, since I, since I do the vegan thing for a long time, you know, I is even local honey. I just I, I avoid it. But uh, there was a time where I would have like habanero honey, and it was fantastic. Yeah, you, you got it's that very good. Heat yeah. and sweet. Oh my god! <laughs> and the the. Put it with like figs and a certain kind of cheese on a pizza. I can imagine that is just oh off nice, the hook. yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice, Carrie. Well, this was awesome. the The collection is so cool, and I'm glad we got to talk about it and uh, kind of about your origins as a writer and uh, and uh, how you approach this kind of stuff. So, um, thanks so much for the time and uh, and thanks for the work. Thank you so much. It was so great talking to you. Oh, can you believe it? Somehow did it again. I honestly don't know how these shows get made, man. I really don't. I mean, last week it didn't happen because I was too emotionally wrung out to function. Uh, thanks to Carrie, she rescheduled on... We were able to reschedule several times until it was finally in the right headspace to to have the conversation. It was... Uh, Anyway, thanks to Carrie for coming on the show. The name of the book, again, is New Jersey Fan Club. It's published by Rutgers University Press. Yeah, if you, uh, if you care, you know, share or link up to the show on social media, and I'll be sure to give you those digital fist bumps, some social validation, that I see you for seeing the show. If we grow the show, maybe more people will be patrons, and more patrons means fewer ads. That said, thanks to Libsyn. They're my podcast host for sponsoring this show. All right, so here's the here here's the deal. This might be meandering and somewhat nonsensical. I just wrote this in one one fell swoop without a whole lot of without with no editing. So this could be all over the place. All right, about two weeks ago, uh, my mom apparently uh, passed out and fell in her home. So no nothing broken 
or anything. Uh, she has like breathing problems sometimes as a result from a childhood injury. I guess like getting hit by a car and it kind of fucked up her diaphragm in her lung. So she doesn't have much function in a lung. So she can get short winded, uh, um, short of breath and uh, her oxygen levels can really drop. Uh, so anyway, my sister and niece ended up finding her because they would just check in on her frequently. And, um, yeah, like I said, she's got some breathing, breathing issues. So it would appear her O2 levels had dropped and her CO2 rose and it was a whole, whole mess. Uh, they got her into an ambulance and she was brought to the hospital. Uh, when that was happening, I was back and forth with my sister quite a bit and, uh, you know, just mom was in pretty rough shape. So I was like, I probably should shoot East and, uh, and see her in case things really turn South or, or what, you know? mess like i said they got an ambulance brought her to the hospital and it was there i first saw her and for the first time she really kind of looked old you know she's 83 but she's always looked younger she's got great genetics in that sense but this time she really just starts to look kind of old and um she'd go from being okay you know to being really confused as to why she was there to being terrified, to again not knowing how she got there, and it should be said too. And I've mentioned this back way back when, when she had her first uh, foray into the wonderful world of dementia. It's um, right now. It's se- it seems pretty advanced. I don't know if this whole episode kind of kicked that into higher gear. Um, and it's just seeing her in this position, like pretty powerless to move on her own, no short term memory because of the dementia. It wasn't as unbearable for me to watch. You know, I left that first day and just started bawling. I had to like run into a bathroom, lock the door, and just kind of let it out. And I'd bawl several times a day for several days in a row. And then she, we got her to a rehab facility now. And it's uh, far more institutional. It's not as cozy as the, as the hospital. And uh, not quite as much attention there so you really have to nurses are 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 they're fine for the most part but you can't really kind of have to stay on top of them and i have to uh, i with my mom i have to keep reminding her why she's there she thinks my sister is keeping her there and she has this thing in her head that my sister is out to get her and hates her i don't know things go go deep there my mom's insecurity with her and it's unfounded it's unfounded Mom keeps telling me, um, you know, she just wants to go home. She wants to go home. You know, meanwhile, my sister had to leave the country last week uh, with her daughter for a soccer thing. So I've been handling, like, all these visits and stuff and dealing with caseworkers and medical stuff on my own. Just talking. I'm not, it's not a super heavy lift, but it's just like I'm really kind of on my own with it. And I'm just ill-equipped for it. I guess who is until you have to be. Uh, it's just, yeah. Yeah, like I said, she just keeps, uh, mom keeps asking, like, how did I get here? Like, why am I here? I want I want to go home. Let's get out of here. And she can't walk on her own, really. She's, her balance is bad. She can't stand up for a long period of time, otherwise she gets out of breath. She has to be on oxygen. Uh, she can't really use the bathroom on her own. And this other, to- other horrible time, she somehow got herself to the bathroom, but then 
just started panicking when she was in there. She might have forgotten how she got there, and she's just screaming from the bathroom for me not to leave and not to forget her, and that she wants to go home. She's like, my son, my son, my son. Anyway, so I had to go run and grab a nurse. And that's the other thing. If my if my mom were even of sound mind, she 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 wouldn't ring the the bell for the nurse for anything. She doesn't want to inconvenience anyone. And now if she does happen to ring it for a nurse now, she's liable to forget why she rang it. And then you'd be like, Oh, what do you need? She'd be like, Oh, I'm good. And so that's uh so she she's usually nice to me, but sometimes she gets a bit mean when like one time she's like, Oh, do I have any legal like, can't, do I have any legal standing here? Can I just sign myself out? And I, I'm like, I don't like, I can't do that. You know, you, you have to, the, it's the therapist who will let you go. And she's like, oh, they'll never let you out. I'm here for life. You know, you turn your back on me. I don't see any fight in you. You're not a fighter. And I just have to take it on the chin. Cause you can't argue. You can't reason. So, and of course, like, she's just saying it and she's not like yelling at me she's actually saying it kind of like sweetly like just disappointed like oh you know like i i thought maybe you had more fight in you but i see you don't you're not you're not a fighter you're gonna turn your back on me and so my eyes are just welling up and tears are falling down my face into my mask into my cana n95 i don't know what's next i don't know if this is going to be my life for the indefinite future I mean, I miss my home, my wife, my dogs, my life out west. I have no answers for my mom. For my mom, and she has no memory of when physical therapists or occupational therapists or speech and cognitive come by. So I can't even reason with her. She'll say, "I don't see anyone here." You say, "I'm here to get stronger," but I haven't seen anybody. I just lay in this bed, and I have to tell her that she does see them, and she looks at me like. Like, I'm lying to her, and then as she put it, she's like, oh, they've brainwashed you too. So at times she's okay, but then I see the darkness wash over her, and she'll start weeping, and then she'll ask me for the hundredth time how long I'm staying or if I can somehow get her out. Uh, And then she'll say, like, Brooke put me here. You know, it's my sister. And I'm like, no, 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 she didn't. Then where is she? And for the hundredth time, like, she's she's abroad with her daughter for soccer. And she'll be like, how convenient. And, you know, it's, it's ugly. So I don't know, seeing effort. I'm, I'm learning on the fly. And it would be one thing if it was just physical. But you throw the physical on top of the dementia, and it's hell. It is pure fucking hell. And I imagine lots of other people who have dealt with this have it far worse. And they might just say, hey, buddy, just suck it up. This is, this is, uh, this is the game now. But it uh, d- sucks no less. So that's why there wasn't a podcast last week, because at the end of each day when I hadn't eaten, because I'm just sick to my stomach all day and I have nothing left to give, uh, I'm not crying as much anymore, which is promising. I wouldn't say I'm scarring over or getting callous. I'm just coping a bit better. Uh, It's not as much of a shock to my system anymore. Uh, Trying to get some exercise, trying to eat good food, trying not to drink too much. I think I'm succeeding for the most part. Um, my brother-in-law and nephew are here. You know, the others are out of out of the country. Um, so sometimes at night, it's you know, if we're just all hanging out, they kind of keep my mind off things, which has been which has been nice. So 
that's where that's where we're at if you've hung out this long and i don't know i don't know what else to say i don't know if there'll be anything next week i don't know if i'll be able to line anything up i don't i don't know that seems to be the rules now as we go forward a lot of unknowns but here's here's what i do know stay wild cnfers and if you can do interview See ya.